What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas, with Jonathan, and we have a longtime friend of the podcast coming back, none other than NBCS Sports Philly knows Noah Levick. Noah, it's been a while. It's been a crazy offseason, but it's starting to get into a lull, so it seems like your perfect time just to take a few weeks to relax. But we're we're not going to let you relax. we got a lot, a lot of questions for you, bud. Absolutely. No, I'm uh, I'm always always down to talk. Thank you guys for, for having me back on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, appreciate you joining, Noah. So just recapping on last year a little bit, how did the season go for you? How did uh, how'd you feel throughout the season and, and what were your thoughts on how it ended? Yeah, I mean, I think it felt like a, a relatively normal season by the Sixers standards. I think just looking back, it's it's wild to remember how disastrously they started the year. 0-3, and P.J. Tucker was yelling at guys in the locker room. And I remember they dropped to 1-4 and with that loss in Toronto when it felt like uh, they needed to resurrect the situation quickly. And, and to their credit, they, they did that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think at one point there in the playoffs, it— felt very possible that this was the year they would finally break through. I was I was there in Boston covering game five, and that's one of the more impressive performances I've ever seen from this team where no one played out of their mind, but just across the board, uh, every player filled their role at a high level, and they were significantly better than the Boston Celtics that night. So I think uh, game six was... Obviously a downer, uh, missing a bunch of wide open looks and for most of the night being the better team. And then uh, the game seven performance was, I think, yet again, an embarrassing way for the Sixers to end their season. So, yeah, I think like most years with this team, you had the the classic roller coaster. And I think for the most part, it, w- it was enjoyable to cover. You had some interesting storylines. You had the emergence of the Anthony Melton, and oh, by the way, you had the, the MVP in the league and Joel Embiid, uh, but I think the end of the season was familiar in, it, in its bitterness uh, if you're 
you know, invested in the Sixers and uh, hoping, you know, they can finally uh, have deep playoff success with, with such a talented player in Embiid. Uh, so, yeah, I think in some ways it, it was different, but in, in some ways it, it felt like the same old story uh, for the Sixers. Yeah, no, yeah, I, bef- I think you hit it right on the mark. Jonathan, keep on going, bud. Yeah, well, before we jump to some offseason plans, I'm just curious. In my perspective, this five uh, conference semis in the last six years, it really is kind of making me not excited for the regular season. Like normally I can tap into all 82 games in some capacity, but it just feels like the same ending is like inevitable. Do you get any of that feeling or or not really with having to cover all the games? I really didn't last year. I really felt like this team was capable of of doing better. That said, I mean, my, my personal opinion entering that series against Boston was the Celtics were the slightly better team and the Sixers needed some things to break their way. And I think as that series was going, it did feel like they were finally getting some of that good fortune. You know, they steal game one in Boston thanks to James Harden's brilliance in large part. Uh, and then I, I think after that game five performance, it it did feel different. And uh, it did feel like this team had, had some of those ingredients that others have lacked. But, yeah, no, I, I totally hear you that the regular season, uh, you understand that it's really just a warm-up for the playoffs and figuring out who's able to help you in big games and what works for you in clutch situations and all that sort of stuff. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's boring by any means, but I, I would say, I think it's on my end, it's definitely more welcome when there's something surprising that emerges, whether that's, you know, Paul Reed has a breakout stretch or uh, like I said, D'Anthony Melton, um, you know, has, I think a really impressive first season with the team or, you know, something along those lines. I think it's always welcome in the regular season uh, while you're, you're waiting for the actual high stakes games to arrive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. So now that we are in the off season, do you have any big plans going on? Yeah. I mean, my, my big plan this off season is I'll, I'll be at the U S open the the tennis tournament in New York. And that's now under a month away. So I'm, I'm very excited. I, I have tickets to the, uh, entire first week of that, and um, yeah, went went last year for a couple of days, but this year I am, am down for the full week, and I, I just love it so much. So that that's the uh, main off season agenda item uh, for me coming up here. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm actually going up the. I don't know if it's the first Monday, but like the yeah, one of the first uh, first days just to get Arthur Ashe tickets and walk around the grounds. But I'm looking forward to it too. Love it. Um, um, yeah, I'm so, getting ready to go back to work because, you know, I teach and uh, I got to get there a little bit early. So no, this the last week, this past week was my last week of vacation and I still have to do some training. So, yeah, I'm, I'm getting back. I, I'm done. I, I don't get to do anything fun now for a while. Just looking forward to next year, right, Lucas? Yep. Yep. Looking forward to next season. That's for sure. <laughs> so. Going into next season, Noah, what is probably the biggest thing that you're looking forward to? I know there's a number of storylines, um, some changes, roster, obviously head coach, but what's kind of the biggest thing that you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of the, um, the point I was making earlier, it's it's always fun when you see a player come into their own or you know, prove they're cut out for the NBA level or something along those lines. So 
I am really fascinated by the possibility that, that Jaden Spring, Springer has a breakout year. Certainly don't think it's at all guaranteed. Um, I totally understand that he still has work to do as an offensive player in the NBA, and uh, he's still very young, right? But I've been extremely impressed by the, the improvements he's made as a shooter over the past year. I thought entering the professional level, he had real problems with his jump shot. It wasn't smooth, didn't get it off quickly, and you know, early on in the G League, he just wasn't making many shots from any range. And now you've seen statistical improvement. You see him shooting the ball with a lot more confidence. And I'm not at all convinced he's necessarily going to become a great shooter by any means. But he's at a spot now where it's not that hard for me to envision him being entirely passable as an offensive player and at least meriting some respect as a shooter. And defensively, uh, he has some traits that pop. I mean, I think one of the standout games for me last year, uh, which which I covered in Atlanta, was uh, that penultimate Sixers-Hawks game. And the Sixers rested just about everyone. Hawks were still trying to win. And uh, Jaden Springer, I believe, had 19 points, uh, did strong work on Trey Young, didn't shy away from the moment whatsoever. And... You know, right after winning G League MVP uh, helps the Sixers win an actual NBA game and exceeded all my expectations in terms of how he'd look on that stage. So uh, I think there are always the major big storylines with the stars, and those are neat, of course, but uh, some of those interesting things that bubble up with young players um, are always always are always my cup of tea, I would say. and um, I think the notion that maybe Jaden Springer does make that leap this year, um, that would be that would be a neat thing for me to cover, I would say. You uh, you should talk to our old um, site expert, Chris Klein. I'm yeah, sure yeah, you know you're going to have to buy some uh, <laughs> Springer stock from Chris, for sure. Chris, he, Chris he owns claims the whole he has, entire stock for it, Springer Island. That's correct. Chris has 100% ownership of Springer Island, apparently. So <laughs> looking forward to... Um, Looking forward to seeing, yeah, if he can have a breakout year as well. Yeah, for sure. But let's go ahead and switch gears now. We're going to talk about this offseason. Um, first question here, Noah, what do you? What was your favorite move that the Sixers made this offseason? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think for me, I, you know, it's maybe a stretch to call it a move, but I, I think it was absolutely the right decision to match Paul Reed's offer sheet from the Jazz for about – um, you know, 24 million, three years. I, I don't think it's a bargain price or anything, but I, I do think Paul Reed has legitimately been elite as an offensive rebounder in the NBA and, and also as a, you know, versatile defensive big man who just consistently forces a bunch of turnovers. I thought the the two start uh, starts he had in the playoffs when Embiid was injured were outstanding. Uh, hit the clutch free throws in Boston grabbed a career high uh, in rebounds when the Sixers clinched that sweep in Brooklyn. So, uh, you know, I, I've always thought highly of Paul Reed's tools, but uh, those games, I think, opened my eyes a little bit to the possibility that he's more than just an energetic backup big. And some of the tools that popped in the G League and uh, that he flashed, you know, earlier in his NBA career 
could actually still develop into something further. Uh, like I, I don't think we necessarily should write him off as a player who is inherently limited or inherently always going to struggle with discipline and foul trouble and what have you. So uh, I think I'm on the same page with the Sixers and believing he potentially could do more. And obviously a lot of that in terms of the position is just going to hinge on, can he make threes? Can it be a respectable player in that regard? Um, I understand like he, he doesn't have textbook shooting for him, but look, he did make over 40% of his threes in the G league. And then in the NBA, just the instruction from the Sixers coaches has been when you get an offensive rebound, kick it out to a player whose strong suit is three point shooting. I think now with Nick nurse, coaching this team, it sure sounds like Reed is going to have opportunities to let it fly a bit more from three. And it wouldn't shock me at all if he makes some of those shots and uh, he does prove worthy of minutes at both the four and the five spots. So I'm fascinated to see what Paul Reed is going to look like with Nick Nurse as his head coach. And again, not at all saying that contract is destined to be a bargain, but I'm quite confident that was a good move from the Sixers, I think is where I land on it. So you bring you brought up Paul Reed, and now I got to get into this a little bit. So do you think that he can be like a full-time backup for, based off of, you know, the offseason moves that they made with, you know, assigning, which we counted about six, now they have six centers on the roster, including two-way player, and I can't, re- I'd, tell me how to pronounce the two-way guy's name, because I don't know how to. Can, can you tell me? Sure. Uh, Azulis Tubelis. Azulis Tubelis. Okay, thank you. With yeah. Including him, there are six guys that can play center, not including PJ, because I don't think that that's going to be really an, a, a guy, an option with Nick Nurse as the coach. But, like, you're going to have to play. You know, we talk, We heard Mo Bamba talk about playing next to Joel, Paul Reed playing next to Joel. So can he be a full-time backup four? And do you think there's a possibility of him becoming the starting four down the road? You know, either with Tobias gone or maybe playing next to Tobias? Yeah, I mean, that would surprise me this season. Um, I think Paul Reed just overall would need to become a better player for that to be sensible. Obviously, he'd need to foul less and uh, show a little more dependability. But, uh, yeah, to your question, I I don't think he needs to be, like, their sole backup for this season by any means. I think Tobias Harris will still play a lot of, you know, quote-unquote backup four minutes. Um, as we'll get into when we talk about least favorite moves, I do think they ooh, ooh. signed. Okay. Well, no, just just to the broader point of the centers, right? I do think I agree with you. Like there, in my opinion, there are too many big men on this roster right now. Um, I I also think that PJ Tucker is still like a, a pretty strong option, and I would not think that Nick Nurse would write him off as a, a center candidate. But yeah, like Paul Reed, I think for the time being looks able to play the five most definitely. And then it's an open question whether he can play the four. Um, For me, he deserves at least some opportunities there, right? Because uh, Joel Embiid can stretch the floor. So he's not necessarily like a conventional five in that regard. And then I think Paul Reed, as I said, uh, TBD on whether the three point shooting that he flashed in the G league actually translates in the NBA. I'm not going to, sit here and say I am, you know, supremely confident that Paul Reed will be a exquisite stretch four, but 
Um, I do think he's obviously an agile player. He's a quirky player. Uh, and he's someone with tools that could legitimately work at both front court spots for the Sixers. Um, so I, I think that's my, my hunch on it now that he will get opportunities at both those spots and there's a decent shot. He's pretty successful at the four and the five for the Sixers. Okay. So you teased me. Now I'm really curious. What is your least favorite move this off season? Yeah. Just, just Montrezl Harrell, you know, being back. On okay. This. So we're all in agreement there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's just the minimum, but you know, you gotta, I think do the best you can to, fill your roster spots with the right players. And, and to me, Montres Harrell is, is not the right player. Um, not saying he's a, you know, a terrible um, NBA backup center, but yeah, given that you've dedicated these other resources to center, uh, it just feels really excessive to me. And it's a head scratching move. I, I think just overall, again, like it's not as head scratching as, you know, if the Sixers had given Montrezl Harold a mid-level or something, but as minimum signings go, I think it's up there with just not making a lot of sense to me in light of what the ro- uh, the rest of the roster is for the Sixers. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It just it, it it felt like one or two things for me with Maury making that move. Either one, he wanted a guy that he knew that a veteran in the locker room that he could trust. Which, I mean, I wasn't in the locker room. I can't attest to whether or not Montrez was a good voice in the locker room. But obviously, he had a connection to Doc. And that feel with Doc on it. And the fact that he opted out. That was the weird thing to me. That he opted out and then came back. And tell me if I'm wrong here. But he made less money opting out, right? So... Very, very slightly less. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just it, it was line as the ro- the roster spot. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it's not, you know, mm-hmm. I, there's there's nothing to criticize with the money. It's it's yeah, the money you can you can wave it or move it. I I get that. Yeah. Um, he might be waived before the beginning of the season, and this is a moot point. Um, I oh, guess it's guaranteed though for the you know so it, yeah, there's some cost if they were to do that uh, yeah. as with. You know, Petrusev, it's at least just a 50% guarantee for year one is what I was told. So yeah. uh, that would be, I think, less surprising if he was ultimately not to be on the opening night roster. But Montrez Harrell, uh, for now, you know, may may well be a, be a sixer for year two. And uh, yeah, like, I, I don't want to say that he was entirely bad last year. He had a few decent spot starts. Yeah, I think the Sixers second unit at times play pretty good zone defense as a way to work around some of his limitations as a center defensively. But overall it was obvious that Paul Reed was the better center and, you know, worthy of that role in the playoffs and given Paul Reed still on this team. And now you've also got Mo Bamba on board and you also have PJ Tucker as a player who's historically been, entirely capable of center minutes in the playoffs. It's just not a good use of a roster spot, uh, in my opinion, the way the roster is right now. Yeah, no. And, like, I get bringing over Petrushev. He's been begging to come over. And you can still play him in the G League if you need to because he's young. I get that. That makes sense to me. I mean, I probably would have put him on a two-way and not signed that uh, – oh, gosh. Um, I – the other guy, the two-way guy, that the big man that they got right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Petrusev, you know, he's he's 23, so 
Um, I, I'm not sure I buy so much into the idea that he's got a ton of untapped potential. He did play primarily at the four last season and shot the three well, was a little over 40%, I believe, you know, in the top league in Europe. But, but does he? I don't know if he has the athleticism to hang on the perimeter in the NBA, though, because yeah, from not, what, what I've seen in summer league, it doesn't look like it. I'm, I'm entirely on the same page with you there. I'm really skeptical that he's got the tools to hang defensively in the in the NBA as a four. And then at the five, you know, he has decent height, but uh, he's not very strong physically. I don't think he's going to get pushed around by any means. Right. But I don't think his strength is an asset. And I think he has decent instincts as a rim protector, but I don't think he's a standout in that regard either. And I think just the reality in the NBA nowadays is whatever position you play, uh, you need pretty good agility. And uh, I think his his feet just naturally don't seem to be the quickest. Um, so, yeah, not not saying that he's destined to fail in the NBA or that he's got no shot, but just looking at what he brings to the table, uh, I think, you know, the Sixers have better options at both the four and five spots. And unless he makes this development at 23, 24 years old, where uh, he, you know, it ups his game a level or two, just looks unlikely to me that he's going to really be a useful player for the Sixers. But maybe he'll prove me wrong on that front. I mean, totally possible. Uh, yeah, and the only other reason that I can think of, you know, signing Montrez is that maybe at one point Maury was afraid of losing Paul Reed and he wanted to have a, uh, you know, in case. I don't know. Uh, we talked about it when Paul, uh, when Montrez opted out that we thought that Montrez was going to be out of the league. Sure. And 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 I just I was very surprised that that situation. But moving on to our next question. Um, what? What is one move you wish they did or could still do? Yeah, I mean, I think right now, wing appears to not be a strong spot. So I'm not sure, you know, which player specifically could be attainable, would have been attainable, et cetera. But I think they would be well served to improve their resources at the wing um i think daniel house jr coming back is a positive but outside minutes of for that, pork Maws, maybe maybe that will work i don't know uh, yeah i mean I, I don't think that's a sure thing by any means and that's about all you have to speak of on the wing is is house and cork Maws. uh so for me this team would would benefit from having some reliability at the wing and I think they currently have an open roster spot, so maybe that eventually gets filled in that way. Obviously, a lot of this, as we'll get into, is just inherently murky because of where things are at with James Harden. So um, maybe the Sixers add a wing through that hypothetical Harden deal. Maybe there's you know, some future scenario that leads to them uh, becoming a little better off at the wing, but... Right now, I look at the team and and feel like they've gotten worse, um, you know, with their situation at the wing. Well, Noah, that was a perfect segue with a little tease about Harden. Obviously, it seems we got pretty deep in this podcast without bringing him up, but that is the biggest probably offseason news surrounding the team. So what were your initial thoughts when 
that news came out. What do you think happened with Houston? And going forward, do you think the Clippers are likely the best option? Yeah, just just really messy. As I said, I think last year felt like what I imagine, you know, a typical NBA season is for for most teams after the Simmons drama. And now it looks like we're back at a pretty abnormal point. Again, I think it's fair enough that Daryl Morey isn't inclined to just settle and trade James Harden just because it would temporarily, you know, satiate uh, the fan base's desire to be rid of this uncomfortable situation. But uh, I think it's obviously still a very high high stakes scenario, and it's important that the Sixers, you know, handle it as well as they can now that they're in this this mess. Uh, as far as Houston. You know, it sounds like the bottom line is James Harden was seeking both a long-term and and lucrative deal, and Houston felt that Fred Van Vliet made more sense ultimately, and and they're a young team that's trying to develop and has a new head coach, Nime Udoka. So um, I think you initially heard James Harden, Houston, and from a lifestyle perspective, you understood the potential appeal of returning to a place that he once called home. But from a basketball side, it never was really intuitive to me. Um, that James well, let, let me ask you something real quick, Noah. Um, I, I've heard reports about Ime Udoka not wanting James. Do you think that has to play a part into why uh, Houston didn't work? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think um, we've heard that from, from multiple outlets. So I'd assume that's a factor. Um, it does does seem like there were a variety of factors there that ultimately led to Houston coming to the conclusion that, okay, we can spend our money in X, Y, or Z ways. One of those ways is James Harden. And, well, we prefer the way that in, includes us um, having Fred Van Vliet as our, as our point guard for the next few years. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know whether how much of a sway Udoka held there, but I certainly think that would be logical for him to have a voice in that conversation. And I also just think, like, on a number of levels, it's logical that that front office and that coach uh, would end up preferring Fred Van Vliet, um, you know, in terms of how they spent the money that they needed to this offseason. So with the deal, do you or potential deal, do you think the Clippers have the best offer and that might be where he ends up? Yeah, I mean, it, it It feels like, you know, for the time being, there aren't many other realistic scenarios, if any. Uh, you know, we've, we've heard from uh, Jake Fisher at Yahoo Sports and I, I believe several others that James Harden remains set on ending up a Los Angeles Clipper. I think it's theoretically possible the Sixers could figure something else out and Daryl Morey could get really creative, but... Uh, it just doesn't appear like at all probable right now that another team, you know, is going to land James Harden. Uh, I think his preferences clearly matter here quite a bit, and he has one preference, which is the Clippers. Uh, you know, as far as what the Clippers can offer, I think, again, hypothetically, if the Sixers could convince them to part with this role player or that role player, then you could say, all right, that's a decent return. And it positions us to have some assets that 
you know, could be useful down the line in our pursuit of high-end talent. But it seems like right now the, the two sides aren't really on the same page. We've heard multiple reports that the Clippers are not willing to include Terrence Mann, and I think that does strongly suggest we're, we're not really close to a deal zone here and that this thing might continue to linger for you know the, the next couple months until training camp. But yeah, like I think just purely from an on-paper perspective, um, I, I do like some of the Clippers role players, Terrence Mann among them. Uh, I'm just not so sure that uh, the Clippers are going to end up where the Sixers would like them to be uh, in terms of actually be being willing to part with those role players. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. We it might be a little bit of a waiting game, but do you think this could have been all avoided if uh, like maybe the Sixers worked with Harden to get more of a, give him more money, but, and just like make him happier. Do you think there was a way that he could have just remained in Philly and we wouldn't have had this drama? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it seems like, you know, the Clipper, obviously if the Sixers had given James Harden, you know, three, four years and a very lucrative contract, um, seems safe to say that this could have been avoided, but I also think it's very fair to say that wouldn't have been a prudent decision necessarily. Um, I had heard, you know, from the Sixers end early in the offseason, they did genuinely want to bring him back, but also they weren't going to compromise with the long-term health of their roster. Uh, so I, I understand from the Sixers end of things, needing to set some firm lines and just not viewing Harden as a player who is worth true superstar money anymore, and he's going to start next season at 34 years old. But I, I think Harden also has a, a somewhat valid perspective here that last summer he enabled the Sixers to sign Tucker and House because he declined his option and he took the pay cut. So therefore, he thought he deserved you know some more respect uh, in terms of what his next contract would look like. And he was great in the playoffs as well. So I don't think it's ridiculous from the Harden end to say, like, who are you going to find out there who can you know drop 45 points and single-handedly win you a playoff game? Uh, so. I think just to the fundamental question of could we have ended up in a situation that's not this? Yes, but uh, I also think both sides had strong incentives to take the stances they did. And I guess in retrospect, you know, it shouldn't be, you know, that absurd to us that we are again in, in a bit of a standoff. I think obviously... James Harden and Daryl Morey have historically been on very good terms. And, you know, we might have just assumed, all right, they're not starting off with the same opinion of what Harden's next contract should look like, but they'll eventually end up there. But, hey, I mean, I think James Harden clearly thinks very highly of himself still and uh, wants that to be reflected in what he's paid. And, and I think for the Sixers, um, as we've heard Morey say, there's also a pretty good degree of cognizance of like future seasons and, you know, not hampering themselves with taking up a bunch of cap space and all that. So um, yeah, could have been avoided, but um, also I think understandable that, you know, we, we got in this tough spot um, and we're, we're still here talking about uh, James Harden. I want to touch on something you were saying, because I did hear Maury talk. I mean, it's been public, even on Philly Sports Radio. We think he was on Anthony Gargano's show. 
talking about likely having those two max slots looking towards the next year's summer. Do you or have you heard of any concerns that like Philly fans should maybe be worried that not necessarily that Maury's like punting until next year, but maybe that he's not going to be as aggressive and this team might kind of just plateau and, and not really like he's not really pushing as much for this season because he's looking towards that future. Have, do you get that sense at all? I don't really, I don't really think, yeah, as you said, not punting. Um, I do think it's notable though, that he's really publicly expressing that desire to uh, be well positioned for, for next off season. And I think, you know, it sure sounds like that's going to be on his mind with how the Sixers operate in season. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think though, I understand it's frustrating for fans that they haven't on paper meaningfully improved. You have Joel Embiid on your roster. You have Tyrese Maxey. You have some other good players, you know, Tobias Harris, PJ Tucker, et cetera. I think in all likelihood, like whatever happens with Harden, this is still going to be a very competitive team provided Embiid stays healthy. Um, And I think, Honestly, as long as he's on this roster, it's almost impossible to punt on a season. He just he just elevates you to such a high level. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a I think it's a complicated complicated one to answer because I I think yes, Daryl Morey is always going to push to like maximize his team's title odds and you know give them a chance to win with the MVP on their roster. I don't think he's going to take a ridiculous approach in that regard. But, hey, he is on the record telling us that he cares about next summer. And I think certainly that, you know, will be a factor with how they operate, you know, in this season. So for me, it's still a little TBD with all that. Um, I think for now, like I, I think Maury is someone we can, you know, generally take at face value with that perspective, but obviously there's a lot of gray area there with how do you classify aggressive and, you know, what is pushing for a title look like? And um, are there any trade-offs with um, this approach? So yeah, we shall see. All right. So with this Harden situation, what do you think the end result is going to be? I mean, we know Maury can be a little patient as he wants to be and, and Harden can't necessarily sit out if he does want to be a free agent next year because of the CBA. So what do you think is going to be the end result, like where Harden will be and how long do you think that might take? Yeah. I mean, I think there's still, there's still considerable guesswork here just given how uncertain it is right now. Um, I think I lean toward a trade of some sort happening just with how firm he's been thus far. And also the reality is the Sixers, you know, as I just said, need to try to win next season under the reigning MVP and uh, just sitting there uh, in a scenario where James Harden is refusing to play, you know, doesn't align with that goal. So, yeah, I, I think I assume, you know, James Harden will end up a Los Angeles Clipper. I don't feel at all confident saying that, but I, I think it does line up that eventually the Sixers should make a deal here before the deadline. And he appears to have a steadfast view that the Clippers is where he's, he's going to be dealt. 
Um, and I also think, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how James Harden plays this and how stubborn he remains. I think he's going to be, you know, 34 years old to start next season. So he should be pretty motivated to play and not just straight up sick games out. So I think a scenario that feels somewhat logical is he remains a sixer through the rest of the summer. There's some continued messiness at training camp and he eventually returns to the court in, in some form. And then at some stage prior to the deadline, the Sixers deal him to the Clippers for a return that Maury feels at least is sufficient to potentially later flip for high-end talent. So out of all the possibilities here, I think that's the one that just feels the most sensible from, from where I'm sitting. Um, but obviously uh, a lot of ways that it could play out. And uh, that, that's my current, you know, educated guess on it. Well, I appreciate that. I, I think this is obviously be, will be the storyline that we are following throughout the rest of the summer and however long this leaks into the season. But with that, uh, we appreciate you joining us today, Noah. It's always great having you on and providing great insight for us and the fans. Um, Absolutely. Lucas, anything before we play out? Um, yeah, I just want to know um, – you know, let the people know where they can follow you, Noah, on, on I guess, the X app now, which I find absolutely insane, uh, and any other apps that you fo- that you post your content on. Um, and um, what do you think about um, the move of changing G League coaches after Colby? Um, Carl won a G League uh, coach, uh, you know, a G League uh, championship. Yeah, I mean, I think fair enough to promote someone who, um, by all accounts, has done a strong job. So, yeah, Kobe Carl will will be joining Nick Nurse's staff, and uh, that naturally creates a vacancy where where they need to fill uh, the G League coach spot. So, yeah, Mike Lungabardi um, has been a veteran NBA assistant. He's focused on defense and and is known for specializing in that. Um, I'll be curious what philosophies he brings to the G League level and um, what his approaches from a developmental standpoint. But, you know, I think clearly he's well qualified for a G League job. He's been high up on NBA staffs before. He's won two NBA titles. Um, and, yeah, we shall see, you know, what he looks like with the Blue Coats. But uh, Kobe Carl, no doubt, did, I think, strong work there. Uh, Jaden Springer, as we mentioned, got a lot better last season. Um, I think, you know, though they are no longer in the Sixers organization, uh, Lewis King and Mac McClung were impressive players last year for Delaware. Uh, and yeah, now Kobe Carl has earned earned that promotion. So so good for him. And I think well deserved um, with, you know, a new, a new member of the Sixers staff, I think uh, makes a lot of sense. And, you know, Nick Nurse has the G League background and obviously he understands what it takes to win at that level. And. I think that's certainly an aspect of, of how he's building out his staff here in Philly. Um, but yeah, thank, thank you um, for having me on. And, and uh, yeah, just, I guess the X app is, is the main place for me uh, where, where you can find my work as well as NBC sports, Philadelphia.com. Awesome. Great. Everyone. We absolutely encourage you to go read Noah's work. And as always, we appreciate you listening to the Sixer Sense podcast. Please go over to the to read some of our articles, 
continued speculation about Harden, obviously. Um, and continue to listen to the podcast. You can get us on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, wherever you want to listen to the podcast. And until next time, go Sixers.